Queensland's health system is a large and complex beast, with our clinicians working tirelessly to not only deliver care, but improve how it is delivered into the future. Clinical excellence stories shine a light on hardworking clinicians across our state, exploring their work, why they do it, and how their passion is translating into better outcomes in their communities. These are the stories Find Tomorrow's Care. If you're lucky enough to get old, with years full of wonderful experiences and cherished memories, you well and truly deserve to receive the best care possible. Care that is safe. Care that takes into account your wishes. Care that is delivered in a location that makes sense. Care that is holistic. It's actually Constance Beryl, but don't tell anyone I told you. Okay. I'm Scott, and Margaret, my mother, is Billy's cousin, and um, they are the closest relatives for each other. They both grew up really as um, about the same age, and uh, Mum has always looked out for Billy over, over her life because um, Billy has no other, once her parents died, Billy had no other relatives. So it's been um, something that we've always kept an eye on uh, for Billy. And um, when she became ill, which was probably about a year ago, um, and we found the need to bring her into here, it was a natural progression that Mum and I would start to look after her. You're going to be famous. It's to do with the caterer. No. Mum, what would your earliest memories of Billy be? You, you were in Sydney, I think, when you were born and Billy was down there. What are your earliest memories? Oh dear, oh dear. Um, well, she was the younger of um, two children in her family and I was an only child and I was, what, eight years younger. So that I rather felt that um, I looked upon her as a sister. We were all a fairly small family all the way around. Where did you meet him? Where did I meet him? Yeah. Well, now where did I meet Harold? Mm. I would say most probably at a dance at Parramatta Town Hall. Yes. Would be yes. the most likely place. Yes, yes. So long ago, I've forgotten that I ever met him. <laughs> yes. He just happened. Billy met Harold. And then Billy, Billy met, met Harold, Harold and yes. And was married yes. when she was in her early 20s, I think. Yes, yes. Yep. And 
Um, and you can imagine how thrilled I was because I had only just turned 13 and she invited me to be a bridesmaid. Well, it was the biggest thing that had happened to me in my life, I think. It was wartime, um, uh, fabrics, <clears throat> fabrics were scarce to make long dresses and I think Billy's mother was a wonderful seamstress and she set to and made, all the, made everything, the bride's dresses and the bridesmaid's dresses. And because we didn't have enough coupons to buy all the fabric that we needed for long dresses, uh, she bought curtain material. After the war, they moved up to Lake Macquarie. Yes, yes, um, to a place to called Valentine. Valentine. Yep. Yes. That, that's my earliest memory of Billy. Yes. I've been looking after Billy for about nine months since she was admitted. Here at Printy Hilltop, I manage somewhere between 30 and 40 residents at, at any one time. Um, a colleague and I, um, Dr. Beres Wink, we look after um, the majority of the residents here and that's up to 89 um, residents in total. Um, we're not quite at that number at the moment but uh, due, to, due to COVID-19, but we can have, um, between the two of us, over 80 residents. We should all have a cup of tea yeah, after. We're going home now? Yep. Well, yes. you're going back to your room. I'm taking you back to your room. Yes, good. Well, thank you all for coming. Thank you. Moving into care can be a difficult transition, particularly when you have cognitive impairments. Leaving behind a home with a lifetime of memories and replacing it with an unknown world can prove daunting and, at times, overwhelming. But life in a residential aged care facility shouldn't be feared. living here. Oh, just this lovely, thanks. Yes. What time is lunch? You know, people, when they come here uh, for the tour, and they have a guilt, kind of a guilty, uh, you know, in their mind, they're putting their loved one in an aged care facility. But we are just here to change that perception, uh, you know, in some ways. It's not going to be a hospital setting. It, it's going to be their home. And they can set the room as per uh, their uh, wishes, you know. They can um, decorate their room accordingly. They can change their curtains, you know, so whatever make a resident comfortable and their family comfortable. It's just depend upon our individual. So when they come into our care, we assess their individual needs. And then we sit together, the clinical nurse, myself, GPs, family members, and also the resident to talk about uh, their history, you know, what they've been doing and how they grew up and what their career was, you know, and, uh, and what's their medical care needs. So we, we just uh, work accordingly and create a care plan for the resident and the care plan get changed uh, as their needs get changed. Normally we review the care plan every three monthly, but we involve the families and, and the staff and the resident and GP uh, to review their care plan. 
I always encourage my staff, uh, don't get task oriented. It's, it's resident home and always ask the way they wanted to do things here. We always enforce, like, have you asked the resident? You know, it's just a mantra kind of thing, you know. So you can't put whatever you wanted them to do. We always, uh, you know, enforce we are working in their home. They are not uh, living uh, at our workplace. We respect all their wishes here. Just like a second home to me, you know, and every staff, they, they are working here for a long term. It's not only me. We have a staff member working from almost 21 years. So it's just like, I, I didn't think to go anywhere else because I love coming here. <laughs> Hi, I'm Rhonda, Rhonda Pertell, and I'm a nurse. So the role that I'm presently in, it's driven by passion. There are people in society that are very elderly and frail who cannot no longer live at home. They would love to, and we often hear the story, uh, I want to stay here and die with my boots on until I, you know, they come. But sadly, that doesn't happen. There's through some traumatic episode, whether they break their hip and end up in hospital, and sadly, they can't return home. So they fell in love with listening to their stories. I love their stories. I'm, I'm captivated by their stories. I was working in the emergency department some years ago at the Royal Brisbane, looking after people vulnerable who, who lived in the community and couldn't help but be astounded by the amount of people coming in from residential aged care facilities for very, very simple procedural problems. And there was absolutely no one that they could call upon. So I used to, I guess, twitter on and witter on about, look, I think if we had some really, really senior nurses, we could go out and change that catheter or do this or do that dressing or talk to the family about their angst. We actually made a significant statistical difference. Whereas once in a week, there might be 12 presentations from RACFs with catheters needs, they were down to about two and they were tricky and they needed to come in because they needed a urologist. With the ability to take some hospital personnel, medical, nursing, even allied health sometimes, depending on what, the, um, what it is, we can go out, undertake a pretty good assessment, still run some bloods. Imaging is done now. We've got a, a aged care imaging, radiology service, radiography service that can do plain films for us, plain chest to see if there's a pneumonia, obvious pneumonia. We can order some antibiotics. We can actually provide an acute service within the residential aged care facility. That has to be negotiated with, of course, their families and the GP and any of significant others and once that's negotiated and the families are reassured that their loved one is being given exactly the same in a, in a quite timely manner and they don't have to undergo that awful awful journey and wait that awful time and they can still remain in their environment in their home. Do I sleep well at night? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and by myself, still. <laughs> the 
final piece of improving care for older Queenslanders is ensuring that the care is appropriate to their specific needs and puts them at the centre. A rich tapestry of improvements is working in harmony to ensure that the right care is provided in the right way and at the right time. From reducing presentations to the sensory overload of the ED by upskilling residential care staff, to supporting GPs to deliver more care in facility and hospital outreach models, we can support our oldest Queenslanders to age healthily. Three years ago, Harold died, and, yes. um, and Billy was by herself, and it, it wasn't easy for her. She was probably starting to show some signs of dementia before Harold died, yes. but she was still fairly self-sufficient until about a year ago when she started to get some infections, and it was clear that yes. you know, she couldn't live by herself. And you know, we were we were faced with that awful decision of having to yeah. having to move move Billy to a, a aged care facility, and um, we're very fortunate, really, because. You know, we, we saw a number of places that we probably wouldn't have suited Billy. We didn't think no. would have suited Billy, and uh, really, you know, we found Hilltop and yes. the whole experience there. Getting her moved in um, was very, very quick and very, very easy. Really. That's right, it was. We, yes. we did get we, help. We were fortunate, though. We were very lucky that there was such a nice room available for yeah. her when we needed it yeah. so badly. So the staff were great getting her in and getting her settled oh, in. Oh yes. It, it did with her dementia, it took her a long time to settle because she always thought that she was going to go, to go home. home. Yes, yes. It probably has taken her the better part of a year to get used to the idea that this is her new home, but yes. she's really been anxious and the staff have really been very good through all of that. Yes, yes. Um, you know, she has had medical conditions and I have to say that the standard of the, both the, the medical nursing care and the doctors who are looking after her, we've been very happy with. Yes, yes, yeah. indeed. Billy's made a decision that she doesn't want to, to have medical intervention in these later stages of her life and the staff are aware of that and so you know, they've really managed sort of her, her condition well. She doesn't need to go to hospital. You know, um, if she needs to, I'm sure that, 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 would be, that may be an event, but, but um, certainly we're looking to sort of spend as much of the later stages of her lives here uh, as is possible. I think the longer she's here, the more it's going to feel like her sort of home. Mm. I think she's becoming more and more accustomed to feeling as though it's home, rather than sort of feeling strange in a strange area. Yeah. Yeah, okay. so that's good as well. Hi, Billy. Hello. I'm going to check your blood pressure. How are you feeling? I've been a country GP, so I've been used to managing a lot of conditions myself in, a, in a, uh, one doctor hospital. So I'm more than happy to manage stuff um, here in-house with the assistance of um, the radar unit um, with um, Dr Bill Lucan and Denise Hobson. Um, I often will call them for advice and we can, we can manage things here without having to send people off. It's much more convenient for the, for the resident and it, it's convenient for the Royal Brisbane Hospital as well that we're not necessarily having to transfer people unnecessarily but I'm more than happy to manage quite a lot of conditions here with their assistance. 
Bill Lukens, my name, and I'm the consultant in charge of the radar service of the Royal Brisbane Hospital. I'm an emergency physician originally by training, and I've done a second fellowship in the last few years in palliative care, which led me to develop this service with my nursing colleagues around supporting residential aged care patients who interact with the hospital. We started out looking after the residential aged care patients who came to emergency, and that's in some ways what brought me into the palliative care space. These really vulnerable group do come to emergency and it's very difficult to get their needs right. Uh, and often the risk of them coming to the hospital is quite high and the ability of the hospital to help them can be limited because of a whole lot of other medical conditions that go along with being frail and elderly. And just trying to get uh, clinicians to understand the special needs of the residential aged care patients, both in emergency, up in the wards, and also we will outreach to the facilities to bring care to those people if leaving the facilities not in their best interests. Oh, hang on a second. Oh, that's John actually. I'll, uh, he wants me to see a patient today out at Hilltop. That should be fine. So John was one of the, I'd like to call him one of the early adopters of the service. We were able, when we developed the radar service, to have a model that we think is quite different in that um, we didn't want to provide care directly to patients. We thought that the teams providing the care were doing a brilliant job already and they just needed some support. So early on in the service we discovered that the GPs wanted to know what was happening to their patients and they loved taking calls from the consultants. So an early rule was if the patient comes from residential aged care and they're in the emergency department, the GP will be rung with the decisions that are made and make sure that they are okay and in keeping with what the, their understanding of the patient is. It's developed into a really great relationship in that John can ring me or can send me a message about a patient. We can visit it or he'll ring and we can decide the patient does need to come to the hospital. And we've also got a sense of trust so that if John thinks the patient needs to come to the hospital, they'll need to come to the hospital and we can back that up. But John also trusts us about making decisions and sharing that care forward uh, into the future. It's important to the residents, it's also important to their families that they're um, managed by staff they're familiar with, they have access to visitors coming and going, and that they're, they're in their own home, and they feel much more comfortable about that. The families are ecstatic. One of the reasons why I think the radar service evolved successfully is that often these patients actually don't want what we think they want. When we sit down and ask them properly, and ask their families properly, what do they want? They're incredibly grateful for being asked even. And they really respond to the idea that we're trying to hear the voice of that older person who may not be able to speak for themselves and give the family that privileged role to be able to speak and speak honestly about what their older relative wanted. We think that it's better care. That's the first thing. So you'll never be able to convince a HHS or the doctors and nurses in the HHS that we should do this because it saves money, there's less beds involved. So primarily it has to be about better care. And good to see you again. Good and I'll see you again you. next week or two. Um, who are you? I'm your doctor. Oh, thank you. Clinical Excellence Stories is proudly produced by Clinical Excellence Queensland. We encourage you to continue the conversation by following us on Facebook and letting us know of any improvements, big or small, that are making a difference for your communities.
And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you digest your podcasts.